So all of that to kind of get us cranked up, we're finishing our John series, our, our series in 1 John, uh, and uh, today is the last message, and we're going to move from here next week, and again, praying over the needs of the body, the Holy Spirit has, has just led me to, to be selective in passages, uh, I've already got about three lined up right now, and we're just going to be looking at the compassion of our Lord. We're going to be looking at the compassion of our God, his mercies, his love, his grace, his ability to, to his, his desire and his ability to minister to us, to carry us through times of need and sorrow, also to rejoice, but most of all, learning to lean on him and to lean into him as, uh, as our God of grace and mercy. So we're going to be looking at some Psalms and then uh, a couple of events out of the life of Christ and I, I trust that God will minister to all of us. Uh, the Holy Spirit will, will take us through that. The final message today. It's been a challenging book. It's been an encouraging book. John's purpose in writing was to encourage the recipients and provide certainty in the midst of uncertain times. How about that? Specifically concerning their relationship with Christ. The text that we're looking at today of closing remarks is not just a random collection of thoughts. You, you look at this and you think, wow, he kind of jumps here and he jumps there. But really, it's a summary of the whole. So he's addressing all that he has said before through specific statements and conclusive remarks. Today, we're going to look at five things John tells us that a truly born-again believer can be certain of. Title of the message, I Know What I Believe, and I am certain of what I know. Folks, that's the way the Christian life ought to be lived out. Certainty, absolute certainty, not because of anything we have done, but because of what God has done, and God is faithful. We can count on him. Please stand as we read from the scripture this morning. We're in 1 John chapter 5. Verses 13 through 21. In other words, the rest of the chapter. But let's hear the word of God together. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, know that you have eternal life. Folks, that's one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. Cliff Fisher, is that a good one? That's a good one. Cliff, I'll have to share his testimony someday. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And we're going to spend some time on that one. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. 
He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Isn't that amazing? Father, thank you for the word. Living, acting, sharper than a dual-edged sword. But Father, thank you most of all, again, above and beyond and with this, the presence of the Holy Spirit that helps us, gives us understanding of the word. So Father, if there be one here this morning that just doesn't understand the word of God, I pray this morning that they will receive the Holy Spirit before they leave. And receiving the Holy Spirit simply means getting saved. I pray for that person to be converted this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. And be with all those students at Auburn University who are walking in the newness of life, even as we gather here together. Our first point, we're going to jump right into it. Our first point, and I have put emphasis on this to help us understand uh, the, the, the gravity of this, how important it is. Point number one, a truly born-again believer can be certain of eternal life. Now, that's important. That is important because we don't want... Uh, can you imagine going to the grave without knowing for sure? Yeah, yeah, is there such a thing as waking up dead? I'm not sure how that how that works. Uh, <laughs> but if you're not in Christ, that's what's going to happen, folks. You're going to wake up dead, but it's going to last forever. It's going to last forever. We can know. Now, this, not, this is not about us. This is not about us. We can know that we have eternal life if we have confessed our sins and received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that he has provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. If we believe that he is the Son of God and cry out to him as our Savior and Lord, we will be born again. And now the promise is in his hands. It's in his hands. The, the, the great theologian said, if it is possible to lose our salvation, we will. We will. But salvation is God's covenant to us. He holds the covenant. And he will not be untrue to himself. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, no, or, or in the past, if you're saved right now, let me tell you something. God's going to keep you saved until you go home to be with him. It's that simple. It's not up to us. It's up to him. And he's faithful. He's faithful. But there are evidence. There are evidence of a truly born-again believer. And we're not going to just gloss over that. We'll get there in a moment. I write these things. I love this. John says, I write these things. In other words, all that has been written up to now, every Christian can live with the absolute certainty about their relationship with Christ. This was so important in John's writings. We read from his gospel account. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. See that? There it is again. I write these things, he said in 1 John, in his gospel account, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Hallelujah. Wiersbe writes in commenting to this, God wants his children to know that they belong to him. 
John was inspired by the Spirit to write his gospel to assure us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wrote his epistles so that we may be sure that we can know we are the children of God. Now, David Jeremiah takes a, a, a good close look at this passage, and he gives us what he calls the five birthmarks of every believer. And I'm just going to read those off to you from Jeremiah's study Bible. They're right there if you have that. The first birthmark is the faith test. What do we believe? Is our doctrine in line with the Word of God? The second birthmark is the life test. How do we live? Do we keep God's commandments? Now listen, all five of these are in John's first letter, throughout his first letter. Do we keep God's commandments? There's the love test. Do we love our brothers and sisters? There's the growth test. Are we overcoming more and more as we walk in the Lord? And number five is the sin test. Do we avoid sin or do we continue sinning and consider it acceptable? So Dr. Jeremiah lists those as the five birthmarks. So we can know, we can be certain that we have a eternal life. Secondly, a truly born-again believer can be certain that God answers prayer. Now, this is a critical point, and we want to make sure we give it adequate time. Do not treat the Lord Jesus Christ or God the Father as your divine Santa Claus, okay? If you do, you'll probably end up with a chunk of coal anyway. That, that may be too old time. Young folks probably don't know what that is. There are two key elements in effective praying, and we have them in our text. First of all, you got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's the first that's the first prerequisite, requirement. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, if you ask in my name, I will hear, and the Father will answer. So we have to go to the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, period, end of argument, no more discussion, final, okay? We got that? Now, I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, folks, this is important. This is important that we understand this, this truth principle. We get to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, period. There is no other way. And that includes in our, not only for our salvation, but for our prayer life. But this is not a blank check. This is not a blank check. My point, or the point, we must pray according to the will of God, 1 John 5, 14. Too many people live that, leave that out. Are you with me? We must pray according to the will of God. This, this isn't just a, an open account that, that God is required to draw from every time we have a demand. We need to get rid of that thought completely. We pray in the will of God. What is the Father's will in this situation? Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, this will I do. That the second thing is going to happen in our prayer, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what's the second thing that's going to happen in, in proper and effective praying? Number one, it's going to be in the will of God. And number two, it's going to be for the glory of God and not our own selfish interest. This is huge. This is huge in our, our today and even in the religious culture of our time. 
So we must have a personal relationship with Christ for effective praying. We must pray with the right motive, and that is for the will of God and the glory of God. It needs to be a mandatory part of our life that, the, the, that we pray according to the Lord's will and for his glory. Pray these things. Prayer does not move the hand of God. I seen that uh, marquee years ago. And it was on bumper stickers and it was on all kinds. Prayer moves the hand of God. Who wants a God like that? That's manipulated and, and given directions, right? Isn't that what it kind of indicates, right? Listen, it, that, we don't want a God like that, folks. We want the sovereign Lord. We want a sovereign God who is all wise, all knowing, all powerful. The one who knows the end at the same time he knows the beginning. We need a God like that. And that's the God we have in this book. That's the God we have in this book. If you want to, if this, this idea of, of, of praying somehow moves God to honor our requests, whatever they may be, is a very, very man-centered religion. Prayer does not move the hand of God. It puts us in his hand as he moves. That's prayer. And sometimes we need to just stop talking. You ever been there in your prayer life? We just need to stop talking and let the Holy Spirit intercede for us and listen to the Lord for a while. You know what? God likes to talk once in a while too. And we need to allow him time to speak to us in our prayers. Now, I'm not going to try to tell you what all that sounds like. I'm not going to say he's going to light a bush on fire and talk to you or write on the wall. He did that a couple of times, right? The scripture, we know. But most often, the way he speaks is like the way he spoke to old Elijah in the mouth of that cave. It's a still, small voice. It wasn't in the thunder. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the earthquake. It was just a still, small voice, that inner witness of the Holy Spirit that somehow we can't explain it, but we know God has responded, and that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know, isn't it? That he heard my prayer, and that's what John says, that he heard my prayer. That's it. He's got the perfect answer. Now we just wait. Now we just wait. I told a group the other night during Bible study that this whole idea of patience, right? You ever heard a sermon on patience? Okay. Well, I, I told the group, I said, I have never in my life had a problem with patience. I've just never had time for it. Yeah, right here. We got an amen. Sometimes we need to just stop and let the Holy Spirit intercede for us, folks. Because you know the way the, inter uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit will intercede? Is he ever going to pray out of the will of God? <laughs> So let the Holy Spirit intercede for us. Let our great high priest intercede for us. Man, we got a team. We, we, got, we got the A team in glory, right? Praying for us. So it's okay just to be silent once in a while. And here's the important part of that. Quite often, that's the only way we're going to get to here. We're going to get to here. And that's where the real prayer concern lies anyway, isn't it? That's where the pain's at. That's where the struggle's at. That's where the need's at. It's, it's not what we can spew out of our mouth. It's the reflections of this old heart. And that's where God wants to deal with the prayers right there. Third certainty. Third certainty. A truly born-again believer can be certain of their victory over sin. Verse 18. 
We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We're going to say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. i got a little problem with that. You know, because I, I, I think the old devil's uh, uh, wreaked a lot of havoc uh, in our society, in our world. Well, that's because the world belongs to him. I can answer that one real easy. But, but how about our personal lives? How does that all fit? Well, let's, let's go a little bit further with it. We know, we know that no one who is born of God sins, 1 John 5, 18. No one who is born of God practices in, sin, 1 John 3, 9. Occasional sins are not here in view, but habitual sins. The practice of sin, because a believer is a new nature, God's seed, 1 John 3, 9, he has new desires and new appetite and is not interested in sin. Now, I want us to think about that a little bit, and I'm quoting from Wearsby there. You see, when we get saved, one of the evidences of our salvation is our interests, our passions, our desires begin to change. Now, the old nature is going to fight against the new nature. Paul says that in Romans chapter 7. He said, I'm, well, paraphrase, I'm sick and tired of it. I, I, I know that I, 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 get, I get so upset when I do the things that I know I shouldn't do and when I don't do the things that I know I should do. Whoa, what a wretched man am I. But right on into Romans 8, for the now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so we look at this battle, but the battle is a good thing, folks. That the battle itself is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we're not in a battle over our will and, and fighting for what is right and holy and pure and being pulled back and forth by the old desires of the flesh, then God probably isn't active in our lives. You, do we, that makes sense? The battle itself is the evidence Without the Holy Spirit, there'd be no battle. So get in there and scrap with the old devil, huh? Jesus has got the victory. Jesus already got the victory. So, so the key is not living a perfectly sinless life. Impossible. But to not live in habitual, intentional sin and rebellion against God because that would violate, violate what would normally be evident when the Holy Spirit is in someone's life. The victory is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. And remember, Satan is on a short leash. Remember that. God is still sovereign over all. Jesus is Lord of all. Let's see how this played out in Peter's life. I want to share one illustration, and it comes from Luke chapter 22. Jesus speaking, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You see that? What did the old devil have to do before he got, what did he have to do before he got the job? He had to have permission. Guys, don't forget that. Don't forget that. But listen to what Jesus said. But I have prayed for you. That's powerful. That your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Peter, God's going to use this temptation. He's going to use this time of sifting. He's going to, he, he, he's going to let Satan be his instrument in his hands to perfect in you exactly what I want accomplished. That's a sovereign God. That's a sovereign God. And then you'll come back and you'll minister to your brothers. 
But he said to him, Lord, with you I'm, I, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Ouch. Ouch. But remember Jesus' words on the seashores of Galilee when he encouraged Peter. Note the word permission and note where our strength comes from. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Our great high priest is praying for us. The victory is ours. To him be glory, honor, and praise. But wait, what about this glaring passage? Yeah, we've got 30 seconds to deal with it. Of two types of sin. Let's go through it very quickly. One leads to death. In other words, unforgivable, and one is forgivable, these two types. And I am not. I am not teaching the Catholic principles of mortal and venial sins. I am not. That is not what this passage is referring to. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the one sin that cannot be forgiven. I'm going to give this as the first and most favored interpretation. Matthew 12, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the absolute final rejection of God's offer of salvation and out and out denying that Jesus is the Son of God. If you do that, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. That's the final blow. But there is another common explanation. This hell, I want to present both of these to you. I think they're legitimacy. If John is referring to a believer who is caught up in a sin that leads to death, God may simply take that believer home before they have a chance to fall so deeply into sin it would affect maybe thousands or whatever, okay? Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died, Paul says. But if we judge ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So, so Paul is saying, look, even in taking communion, you better get it right. You better get it right. As second passage, and I share this with you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul again writes, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as if I present, I have already pronounced judgment on the man who did such a thing. 
when you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you see that? Do you see that? Folks, God will not allow his covenant to be broken. And if he has to take you out of here, he'll do it. Now, that sounds cold. That sounds hard. No, that's a faithful God. That's a faithful God. I present those to you. I, I, obviously, it's one of those. I think Adam dealt with this uh, last week in a passage. This is one of those things. I'd be glad to entertain conversation after church, but just know this, I'm right. Here it comes. <laughs> Here it comes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you. A truly born-again believer can be certain they belong to God. We're going to move through this. I've taken a little too much time. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In addition to knowing that we have eternal life, that our prayers are answered, and that we have victory over sin, we can also know one more thing for certain. We belong to God. Amen. We belong to to God. Though we live in this world that is presently under the sway of the evil one, we are not of this world. The bottom line is this. There are two options because there's only two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world. Who's that belong to? And there's the kingdom of God. Which one do you prefer? Joshua made a great statement. Choose this day whom you will serve. You're going, to, you're going to be a citizen of one of those two kingdoms. It's as simple as that. God, God's whole message is simple, right? This is not, not multiple choice. This is just one of two. All right. And most importantly, when, and, and our, our passage that I read there, that, that everyone is part of God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom, and Jesus said, you're either with me or against me, in the passage I read out of Matthew, the testing of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What is the greatest confirmation of our sealed position as a child of God, the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will confirm our sonship. He will confirm that we are children of God. So we pause for this question. Do you have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit right now confirming that you are a true child of God? Do you have that inner witness right now? And if you say, well, I don't know what I'm looking for, we need to talk about your salvation, see? Because you are going to know, know whether you are or not by that inner witness. Number five, a truly born-again believer can be certain that Jesus is the true and living God. It's, it seems interesting that John brings this right down to the end just as a huge reminder, but it is verses 20 and 22. In these verses, we once again discover the main reason for John's letter. 
He wants to make it clear that the only way to know the true and living God is through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is his Son. No one can be saved who does not believe in Christ, uh, for there is no salvation apart from him. That's why John says in verse 20 that Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. You see, there are a lot of different Jesuses being preached today. There are a lot of them. There really are. But close does not count. I think it only counts in what? Horseshoes and hand grenades? And nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. On the lighter side, let me show you the danger of being close. Shed a tear for Jimmy Brown. Poor Jimmy is no more. For what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. Do I have a chemist in the crowd? John, what is H2SO4? Sulfuric acid. Close doesn't work. <laughs> I knew who to go to. <laughs> we believe in the only true Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, the Son of God, the true God in eternal life. God has not given us wiggle room on this one. But don't you think, preacher, it really doesn't make a difference what a man believes as long as he's sincere? <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Jesus didn't leave any room for us to be inclusive in this. You see, the gospel is totally inclusive because it is available to everyone. Everyone. But it's also very exclusive. Because Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus didn't leave that wiggle room. He was very unapologetic about the exclusiveness of who he was. And like everyone else on the planet, we each have to make our own personal decision about the claims of Christ. There is no middle ground. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of Satan. There are the saved and there are the lost. What say you this morning? Are you willing and ready to make sure? Do you know? That's not a statement out of arrogance. Don't, don't interpret it that way. And that's not a statement out of self-confidence. That's a statement out of faith. Simple, pure faith. I know that I know that I know because my God is faithful. That's why I know. So you can leave here guessing. You can leave here gambling. Or you can leave here knowing. You can leave here knowing that if you die on the way out these doors this morning, if you drop dead, God forbid, but if you drop dead right now, <laughs> your eyes are going to be wide open in the fullness of the glory of Christ. You can know that. Not because this old preacher said so. <laughs> Guys, God said so. God said so. And this is so important for us at this time to remember the authority and the power of the Word of God. We owe no man an apology. We owe all men a witness, a testimony. 
we just seen, we just read this morning about at least 200 college students who heard the word and responded to the word. The word is powerful. It's powerful and life-changing. Life-changing. So today, if there's any questions for the sake of God our Father and Jesus our Savior, don't let pride keep you in doubt. Don't do it. That's an instrument of Satan himself. My preacher, I've been in church for 30 years. How can I come forward this morning and tell you I don't know whether I'm saved or not? I'll tell you how. You put one foot in front of the other. You put one foot in front of the other. That's how. You come to the altar and we'll pray. But please, you can know because God said so. Father, thank you for the time we've had. Thank you, Father, for the power of your word, for the power of your testimony, for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who moves on us to bring that salvation to us. Father, no one comes to the Son unless he's called by the Father, and no one gets to the Father unless he comes through the Son. It's a great plan. It's a great plan, and it's all because of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. So have your way. Have your will be done and be glorified as we bring this service to a close this morning. In Jesus' name, please stand.